0: But well, good morning, church. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Good morning. And happy new year. I've been waiting to say that for like 10 months now. We're so glad that you're joining us online and in person. The video we, you just watched, we watched together, is a gift we want to give our church that we, we spoke about during our Christmas Eve services. And if you have not received an email uh, in your inbox, we'd encourage you to go to our website, rccsalem.com slash right now and access, get instant access, free access to uh, Right Now Media. It is sort of a Netflix approach to thousands of digital content uh, for you, your loved ones, your spouse, your friends, and family. And because one of our values at RCC is generosity, we we want you to give this away. If this could bless a neighbor or a coworker, Text them the link to our website and say, hey, man, sign, this, sign up for this, and you'll have hours of great digital content for you and your family uh, and your loved ones as well. We hope that this can be a gift for you. I hope it's a blessing to our life groups as well and to anyone that accesses uh, right now media. Today, we're going to close out our Christmas series, uh, Christmas BC, as we're looking at um, prophets from the Old Testament who sort of paved the way and wrote about the coming Messiah. And today we're going to look at sort of a broad stroke of the book of Malachi. And before we jump into the book of Malachi, Um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed at Christmas? You you didn't want to tell your parents, like you didn't really, you didn't get me the thing that I wanted, um, but deep down you would say I was disappointed. Let me tell you something, friends. The internet is wonderful and magical. There's actually a website that you can go uh, on and discover the worst Christmas gifts that people have received. About seven to 10 years ago, maybe seven years ago, so uh, Dr. Dre released his line of headphones, Dre's Beats, and uh, they were a pretty hot market. I think with AirPod Pros, they're probably not as hot anymore because Apple ruins everything. I'm kidding. I love Apple products. Uh, but there was a kid that wanted his own pair of uh, Dre Beats, which parents, these are like $300. So, you know, up to you if you want to get that for your kids. What the parents did as a joke was they gave him this, literally two pairs of Beats um, I don't know about you, but I would probably be a little bit upset. The next photo is my favorite. Imagine getting a gift for a loved one who was wearing that gift. This is a photo of a guy who received a shirt that he's actually wearing. Oh, man. I, 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 if, I, <laughs> if I got my grandfather that gift and I walked in and I saw him wearing the same shirt, I'm like, oh, man, this is... This is going to be a story that's going to make fun of me for years for years to come. And then there's this gift where you you look at it and you're like, what is this? You know, you've got that that uncle or aunt or nephew that's kind of uh, a little on the quirky side. You're like, what, what is actually in this? I know what it might be because the shape, but what actually is in it? So you open it up and here's the first photo and you're like, oh, cool. It's an iPhone in a pan. Okay, I'll take the iPhone. But then because of the quirkiness of the family... you open the iPhone package and you get this, and you're like, great, this is not really what I wanted. At least you have a pan to knock them upside the head and say, thank you for not giving me a gift that I wanted. You know, sometimes it's easy uh, to be disappointed at at Christmas, and sometimes it's easy to be disappointed in life. And sometimes we have this notion that if I follow Jesus, things won't be awesome all the time, but maybe a little bit better. And we follow a guy that ended up on a cross. And sort of the tension is when we feel like we're disappointed with life, sometimes we can go to, well, where's God? Does God actually love me? Is God actually for me? You know, maybe for some of us uh, in the last year, we we didn't get the promotion we thought we were going to get. Maybe last year we started out married to our spouse, and this year we're single. Um, maybe uh, we thought that we would give you know, school on Zoom a shot, and it would be okay, and we're taking deep breaths as parents. We're going to get through this, and it's just been disastrous. It's, it's normal to be disappointed in life, okay? Life isn't always awesome every single day of the year, and that's true often <laughs> for the Israelites. Uh, it's true for all of us as we, as we manage wanting to be loved by God and then sinning and kind of doing our own thing. In the book of Malachi, um, God's people, the Israelites, were very disappointed with God. Here's a brief video showing a little bit about Malachi's story. It was a thousand years before Christmas, around 930 BC, Israel split into two kingdoms when mostly by bad kings. So God sent the prophets to speak words that were true, but nobody listened and the kingdoms fell through. When the southern kingdom fell, the Israelites were kicked out. The people couldn't tell what God's plan was all about. They eventually returned to rebuild their temple and reclaim their land. But as the prophet Malachi writes, it wasn't all that grand. The people are disappointed, wondering if there's even a God above. Yet in the middle of all this doubt, God shows Malachi a sign of his love. (laughs) I love those readings from those kids. They're they're great. Uh, Malachi, along with a lot of prophets and pastors, did not have an easy job. He's leading and speaking for God uh, to the Israelite community when things are not going well. The Israelites were dominated by their worst enemies, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the Babylonians. And they were another theme and frame uh, of the Old Testament is that not only when you're defeated, you're kicked out of your country. So they were in exile. This happens all the time in Old and New Testament. Warfare. However, they're allowed back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and the grumbling takes place. You know, sometimes disappointment isn't an emotion, but sometimes disappointment um, are GPS coordinates. Sometimes disappointment is a location, and it's hard to go back to the house that your family once lived in pre-divorce. It's hard to go back to that school that your family took you out of after being bullied week in and week out. And for the Israelites, sometimes it's hard to go back to Jerusalem or where they're from because it reminds them of what could have been. And at least their perception of reality would have been, this is where we felt like God disappointed us. He allowed us to be overtaken by the Babylonians. And it's at this point, uh, God uses Malachi to reassure God's people that he is still for them. In approximately 430 BC, Malachi pens these words. In Malachi one 2a, Malachi writes a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. This is God speaking. I have loved you, says the Lord. You know, <clears throat> It's nice to read that and we can feel that sentiment, I'm sure, but it's really hard to believe when you're on this end or this side of being defeated by an enemy. When you're on the other side of disappointment, it's it's hard to believe that. And you have to understand when God talks about his love, he's talking about Um, Sure, there's an aspect of the emotional concept and construct of love, but what he's talking about is his covenant love. It's a decision of the will more than it is a decision of our emotions. That even when God's people sin, they run from him, they're disobedient, they want kings like all the other countries, God still shows up and says, I've loved you. Um, we don't use covenant language all that much, but we're familiar with weddings and, and seeing husbands and wives exchange vows and, and commitments to one another. That, that's exactly what God is reminding his people of here in this text, that, that I've not left you. Um, I, I've not run from you. I, I don't know if this is true for you, church, but for me in my life, uh, when I wonder where God is in my life, it's because I moved. I <laughs> moved. I moved away from him. God didn't move away from me. God has continually been faithful to me throughout my life. And God is reminding the Israelite community, I am still with you. Oh, but notice, notice the response the Israelites gave God. How have you loved us? How have you loved us? I don't know how you take that or how you receive that question when you look at it at face value. But I would imagine there's some level of... Of pain in that question. God, you allowed us to be defeated by the enemy. What, what do you mean you loved us? Right? If you loved us, good things happen, right? Like, doesn't Jesus say in Matthew, your earthly parents who are sinful people, they give you good gifts? How much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts? Like, losing in battle is not a good gift, God. How in the world have you loved us? A year ago, roughly a year ago, uh, we kicked off our mission and vision series here at RCC, and we said we're going to be a journey church. And there are more, but we said we're going to commit to four pathways on a uh, discipleship's journey of spiritual formation. And one of those values is that we would journey inward, which is the process of spiritual formation. Uh, theologians would call this sanctification. And we said the beginning of spiritual formation begins with our ability, right, to name our deepest desire and our greatest longing in in God's presence. And for the Israelites, maybe this is their question. God, you said you loved us, but we don't really see it. How have you? loved us? And you could take this question as a question of rebellion. You're like, what do you mean? I'm God. I created the world. You should just accept it at face value that I've loved you but we don't, right? Because we're humans, we're flesh and bones and there's emotions involved and there's faithfulness and trust and distrust and seasons where we follow God faithfully and seasons where we fall off the wagon. And I just love the realness of this question that the Israelites are asking God. And and let me just say this from from the beginning is that God is not surprised or thrown off uh, by you asking him really difficult questions. If it is a question that is important to you and it is a deepest longing and desire for you to ask it and maybe even have answered, it's important enough for God to hear and we should communicate what our deepest desire and greatest longing actually is. If you had to uh, look back on your life over the last six to 12 months, um, what, what would what would you say... Um, Is your greatest disappointment? What would you say? uh, What was a season where um, you know you you just God? Are you there? (laughs) Um, Do do you love me? I mean, I know you exist because I'm afraid to say you don't exist because I don't want your wrath to come after me. But but right now in this season, I I know you're faithful. I just don't feel it. I just don't I don't see it. If if you had to look back on your life over the last six to twelve months or so. Where would you say you've had disappointment with God? Um, sometimes in relationships, when I do premarital counseling, and I ask a couple um, the <laughs> the always interesting question is is, is is how do you fight? And the couple says, well, we, we don't fight right we're Christians. we have a perfect relationship the, the, There's a level right of deniability where you go, okay, they're not being realistic here with their relationship or Maybe they are, and they don't know how to do conflict resolution, and maybe the first time they're going to step into that is when they're married, which they're going to need someone to come alongside of them. Guys, I think it's okay to say, God, I'm disappointed with you. I, I think it's uh, dangerous to be disappointed with God and to say, well, I've never, I never feel disappointed with God. If you feel this way, you should communicate that. Your heavenly Father loves you and cares for you. Malachi receives a word from the Lord that he's instructed to share with the Israelite community in chapter three, verse one. And this is the um, messianic promise that love is going to come to earth. Love will no longer be a concept, a construct, an idea. It will be a person that will have flesh and bones that you can talk to and interact with and And laugh with and eat with and have a relationship with. In Malachi 3 1, God says this I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. A little bit of theophany language of Jesus existing in the Old Testament. Then suddenly the Lord, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. You will see my covenant and my faithfulness to you come to fruition. But here's the drag (laughs) of this promise. Here's the tough news about this promise. God gives the Israelite community this beautiful promise that He's not given up on them, and then He goes silent for 400 years. God. I thought you were going to send your Messiah. I thought you were going to send someone that's going to prepare for us that the Messiah is going to come. Can you imagine generation after generation in your family lineage, right? Maybe the Messiah is going to come now. Maybe this Messiah is going to come now. But 400 years go by, nothing, not even crickets. And then we get to the Gospel of Luke where we see Malachi... John the Baptist, and Jesus sort of book-ending this beautiful promise in Malachi 3. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28 and following, Luke writes, "'The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you.'" Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary.'" You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. This is the promise of Malachi 3 in part that Jesus is love incarnate, Jesus is God in the flesh, the the faithfulness, the Hesed love of God throughout the Old Testament, right here at the beginning of Luke's letter. But the beginning of Malachi 3 is not a reference to Jesus. It's a reference to another child that we will be born at a similar time. Elizabeth is going to give birth to John the Baptist. Now, 3 I wouldn't expect you to remember this, uh, but about three summers ago, we um, took a large view of the gospel of Mark, and we talked about when in the Roman Empire in the first century, when kingdoms and kings were installed and there would be a new rule and a new reign, um, it would be difficult to communicate that with people, right? Before social media, before newspapers, uh, before television, anything like So what would happen is a king would send out messengers, and would go to all of the towns in the Roman Empire, whatever geographical location they were at, and they, were go- and they would tell the people, a new king is coming. Here is what the king is about. Here are the policies the king is going to um, enforce or begin. Now, for some people, they were thrilled. Other people, it's like voting today. They weren't as thrilled. John the Baptist was the messenger that went before Jesus and said, a new king is coming. A new king is here. In Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John says, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is more powerful than I. He, he will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire." When Jesus announces his kingdom, right, what does he say? He says, the first thing I think is in the Gospel of Mark, maybe it's chapter two, chapter one. He says, Repent for what? The kingdom of Jesus? No, he says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you grew up in the church or you're familiar with the Gospels, you might go, Okay, yeah, I've read that before. No, it was unprecedented. And a little narcissistic for anyone to think that they could speak on behalf of Yahweh, let alone introduce his kingdom, let alone say, if you want to know what God's like, come and talk to me. God remained faithful to the Israelite community. Sure, there, were, there was generational silence among God's people. But God has always been faithful to his people. And even as we begin a new year, I wanna encourage you to think about how has God been faithful to you over the last six to 12 months? I think sometimes when, when life gets um, a little overwhelming and overbearing, it's easy to forget the simple things, especially if we're not praying, especially if we're not consistently reading God's word, we can let um, our anxiety, our hurts, hang-ups, habits, really just kind of take over us, right? And this is a beautiful reminder that when God says something, he will deliver it. And he's not sitting in heaven wondering, man, is, are, will humanity like me if I don't act quickly enough? No, when God speaks, it will happen. And it's happening now in Luke chapter 1. I love, I was going to read this uh, during our Christmas Eve services a couple weeks ago, but uh, I saved it for today. I love the way Max Lucato describes the birth of Jesus and Mary and Joseph interacting with Jesus. Max Lucato is an author and pastor, writer, and teacher. He says, God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He came not as a flash of light or an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that held him were unmanicured, calloused and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper." I love that phrase. I love that statement. I love the sentiment of how vulnerable God's love is given to us in the person of Jesus. Matthew begins his gospel describing it this way in verse 21, that Mary, she will give him the name Jesus and he will save the people from their sins. Christmas doesn't happen, so Jesus can say, okay, come here, humanity, let's get a selfie and a big group hug. There is intentionality with the incarnation that this beautiful, precious baby boy given to this very young, probably terrified and excited young couple, uh, he would have to die for the sins of the world. For my sins, for your sins, for Mary's sins, for Joseph's sins. One theologian describes sin this way: that sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. Well, I like that definition. I've heard many definitions uh, with regard to sin. There's so many different ways to look at and explain and define sin, but I really like that definition: that sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. That sin is a full frontal attack on the kingdom of God, the the very kingdom that Jesus had come to announce, the very prophecy that Malachi was writing down and giving to the Israelite community, that God's hested love, his covenant love will not give up on us. So how does he do it? How does he approach humanity? Well, in Matthew 1.23, Matthew says, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, God in flesh, does life with us. The gospel writer Mark describes uh, the kind of way, the approach to life that Jesus had was that he would rub shoulder to shoulder with his disciples and with people. That, that That's a creative way of describing that God wants to get close to us, that God wants to do life with us. And it wasn't this um, sort of top shelf theological idea. Okay, my creation ascend. Now I'm going to send my son. He's going to die and come back to heaven and everything's going to be fine. There's a level of empathy, sympathy that Jesus develops by being with us, right? He, he, he understands and learns the frailty of humanity. He even humbled himself and became a man and God in the form of Jesus as a little boy, had to grow up and learn about God. He had to learn from the instructions of his parents, of his rabbi and his synagogue leaders. He chose to do life with us, reinforcing right, the Jesus of Malachi, the God of Malachi chapter three. I have always loved you. I've not given up on you. I still want to have a covenant relationship with you. And one of my favorite verses, I share this all the time here, is Romans 5.8, where Paul says, God demonstrated his own what love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, God doesn't wait for us to clean up and take a uh, an ethical shower to clean off all of the bad stuff. No, no, he doesn't wait. He acts. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he showed us his love for us. I hope as we begin this new year um, that in whatever way connects to you over the coming days and coming weeks, that you would be reminded of God's covenant love for you, uh, that he has spent uh, about fifteen hundred years on several different continents, writing sixty six different books, communicating just how much that he loves us. And so I want you to think about two things as I close uh, today. is this number one is an invitation to come back, an invitation to come back. You know, I think um, when we uh, shut everything down, It's almost been a year. It's crazy to even think that. You gotta let him say that. Um, It it was kind of a crazy season for for the world, but you know what? A new year presents new opportunities, new perspectives, and so I want to encourage our church. It's an invitation to come back, to re-engage, whether that's attending online or in person, joining a serving team, a life group. We're not going to sit around and wait for things to get better. We're going to act now. There there is a world that needs to hear about the love of God. And, And if you're like, I don't know if I believe that, then I would challenge you to get more involved in your community. If you don't have at least one or two people in your circle of relationship or influence, I'd really encourage you to expand that circle of influence and get to know other people. So the invitation is to come back here. The the charge is to go out and to share the love of God with other people in real and tangible ways. I've been in New England for about two and a half years now. It's it feels like it's it's flown by. And the more I talk to people about faith and God, because when they find out I'm a pastor, that's where the conversation goes, is that when people think about God, at least in this part of the country, it, it seems to be very liturgical. It seems to be very... Um, um, and no offense if you wear these articles of clothing, but uh, it seems to be very khaki pants, right? Tight shirt, everyone's proper, nobody gets out of line. The problem with, and I, I'm not saying that's a good way or a bad way to look at God, is the problem with that is that I don't think people here in New England give God a second thought right? Because they've already been burned out or it wasn't relevant. It wasn't meaningful to them. They went to church because probably someone in their family dragged them. But what people need, not only in New England, but the world, are real life Jesus followers that are willing to share their life with them the way Jesus shared his life with us, and that we might be available to them in their time of need, in their time of questioning I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited for 2021. I'm really excited uh, because, I mean, the opportunities are endless uh, for our church. May you know this holiday season that God loves you. It's a simple message that he's not given up on you, and his covenant love for you does not go away. God does not move away from the relationship. We do. And it's an invitation to come back and to go out and share his love with the people in your circle of influence. Let me pray, and we'll continue our service with communion. Jesus, thanks so much for um, this beautiful reminder of your covenant love for us, that you've not given up on us. And, And I think that might mean different things to different people. I think it means a lot for folks that are Faithful to you for a season, and then they fall off, and they come back, they fall off. And we're so thankful for this beautiful reminder that your love does not run out on us, that you do not give up on us. And we thank you so much that you judge our, um, our ethics and our behavior based on the behavior of Jesus, who was perfect, who was faithful, and died in our place and paid the price that we should have paid And we thank you for uh, his love for us. And may we rest in that love as we begin this new year. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.